you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. College baseball fans, college baseball is returning to Globe Life Field, home of the World Series champion Texas Rangers. Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, is kicking off the college baseball season by hosting some of the top teams in the country over three consecutive weekends. The action starts with the Shriners Children's College Showdown, presented by Kubota from February 16th to the 18th, and continues with the Kubota College Baseball Series from February 23rd to the 25th and March 1st through the 3rd. Visit globelifefield.com slash college baseball for more information. Tickets for all three weekends are on sale now. College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 45 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Today's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros. Uh, we are also sponsored today by Pitch Logic, the system used by players, coaches, scouts, and instructors at all levels of play from youth leagues to the big leagues. Easy to use and affordable technology makes the platform accessible to every player at every level. All the metrics and features used at the highest level of our sport. See pitchlogic.com for more information. Uh, thanks again to S2 and Pitch Logic. Uh, and thanks to my three great friends here, Joseph J. Healy, Kendall J. Rogers, Aaron Zebediah Fit. Uh, gentlemen, happy holidays. How, how's everybody doing? Coach Rooney, living the dream, my friend. How are you? LTD. LTD. Yeah. Hey, can I can I give you some inane banter right out of the shoot? Yeah. Mm. Kendall, your family, specifically you and the great Angela Rogers, mm. are elite, elite GIF players. I mean, your GIF game, your GIF game, however you like to – I mean, both of you – like, and now now – the the children the children Rogers I don't know what their their GIF games are like yet but I I just the the pedigree uh, is going to be elite average really what happened yeah well we haven't you know we haven't taught them just yet um, that that is one thing I would say though my GIF game is pretty good as a matter of fact if I ever need a job again someday I'll put that on my resume elite yeah. GIF maker. Yeah, the couples, Rogers, they're both elite, elite. Like I, I think, I, pretty good's not going to get it done. It's like a bad, I'll tell Angela, so that's a badge of pride for her. Oh yeah, really strong. So, um, so I actually stole one of her her gifs mm. for my uh, fantasy football Instagram uh, page for the carrots. Really, and, and I steal yours all the time. Joe and Aaron, Joe and Fitzy. Speak for your families. Are you emoji families, GIF families, or none of the above? Uh, Runes, you know me. I'm team emoticon. Is that still a thing? Uh, that's, I don't know that's what an emoticon is. It's like is that just... an emoji? No, an emoticon yeah. is like it's when you type just like the, the, the colon and then the little parentheses oh. to make your smiley face. That's how but I'm, the Android uh, doesn't change uh, it automatically. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh. No, it, it's, my point is I'm, I'm out on all this newfangled crap. Uh, give me oh, words. Write a sentence. Give me words. I like it. How about Hashtag now? How about the man. great? How about the great Virginia Fit Fitzy? What's what's your wife? How, where does she she's, come down on this? She's a she's a probably an above average jiffer. I would say. Yeah. More likely to jiff than emoji, or or yeah, you know? I would probably so. I'm both. She'll she'll use them both pretty liberally. And look, hey, I'll sprinkle in the emojis when they're necessary. Uh, like I I was actually uh, interesting enough. Angela was texting me the other day. Um, I turned to get my address for a Christmas card, and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm sorry, we're not real grown-ups. We don't send out Christmas cards, but I'm gonna wish you guys a happy holidays. And here's two emojis: one with a Christmas tree, and one with a little present." And I said, oh, "That makes, that, that makes it festive, like a card." And then I'm trying, I to, I, trying to impress her, I feel like I did well my done. job. That's well <laughs> done. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, J Row is an emoji person, not a yeah. not a Jiffer. Co- Coach Healy, what are the Healys? How do they operate? Yeah, I'm an emoji guy, um, for sure. In other in other parts of my family, specifically with my with my parents, they both are big on. I think this is just an Apple phone thing, like an iPhone thing. Um, you can create a a, a Bitmoji of yourself, you know. And so oh, both my both my step stepmom and dad love to do those. So that's kind of how they tend to communicate is just with those those bitmojis. Oh my you, you gosh, know, that's next level. You know who else is yeah. famous for the bitmoji is uh, the great Jimothia Callis. Uh, really, really, <laughs> keep put that in your back pocket. Jimbo Callis as a bitmoji, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. Oh, yeah. Keep that. Speaking speaking of great Christmas cards, so that that guy will send like a like a oh, four yeah. page Christmas card every year to you. The Callas family Christmas card is legendary, and it's been the same format for decades, and it's always a crowd pleaser. Oh, that's awesome. Very good. Oh, that's good. All right. I feel I've, this is good. This is good clarity. I feel good about this. This is um, – thank you for this. And Fitzy, Fit, I, by the d- way, die on that hill. Die on the hill of full – Fully words. written out sentences. Words. Right. I'm, di- I'm, di- words. I'm disappointed that you and uh, Virginia don't do a family photo shoot with your dogs and send it out as a Christmas card. Yeah, n- not so much. Yeah. <laughs> Fitzy, the team. Maybe that's why you're not your invited camp. to Christmas parties. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> we have really... a split camp here. The Roonies don't do a Christmas card either. Or oh, the, boy, these Roonies. Roonies. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Not not real adults as, as you described it. I love that. <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, so here's our topic for today. Let's have a little fun with this. 2024 is imminent. It is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And what I was thinking is, what are things that I believe today as we are about to enter 2024 that I did not believe a year ago? Things that maybe last season changed the way I view the world. Um, so... You know, for instance, like Joe Healy's elite mustache last year changed the way I viewed the world. Um, so that's so we're gonna we're gonna go around the country here, and we're gonna split some of this stuff up. I will go first as an example, and I am going to take the so Joe, you're gonna take the SEC West, you're gonna take the SEC East separately, Kendall, and we'll all comment on 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 each of these. Kendall, you'll take the Big Twelve, Fitzy, you'll take the ACC. Um, I'll take the the West, but I'm also going to start us with the grit factories, if you will. The term the great Stephen Shock has given to all non-Power 5 programs. So here was my belief. This was almost like a discouragement. I limped into the 2024 season or 2023 season last year, a year ago, kind of feeling like the era of grit factories going to Omaha had ended. I just felt like the power programs had become so dominant and college sports was getting even more geared towards the power programs. If you think about it, from 2012 to 2017, that six-year stretch, we had Kent State, Stony Brook, Irvine, Fullerton, Coastal, Santa Barbara, Fullerton again. That's a lot of grit factories in Omaha. From 2018 to 29 or 2018 to 2023, we had Nada, 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 and then Oral Roberts. So going into, and we didn't know about Oral Roberts this time last year. So going into last year, we had four straight years of the grit factories not getting to Omaha. And it had just, I kind of felt like, man, maybe that ship has sailed. Oral Roberts changed my belief. Like not only, because they didn't, like, here's my opinion. Oral Roberts didn't like kind of fence scrape their way into Omaha. Like it was jarring how good they were. Like, they were old and good, and then they take down TCU in Omaha. They've got bases loaded in the ninth against Florida. Uh, there it, there was no time last year where I, I looked at Oral Roberts in the postseason and felt like, oh, man, they're they're like way over their skis here. I mean, they were just dang good. So that's, that's, that's my belief that has changed. Oral Roberts has given me renewed belief in grit factories making runs. Because they are kind of niche. So, so what say you all? Like, uh, that, that's my belief. I'll put it out there. Go wherever you want. I, I, I kind of agree. Like, I, I had that thought. I started to get the feeling that those days were kind of over, and so it was good to see Oral Roberts do what they did to to re- rekindle that belief. Relatedly, though, what I what I would say, and I, this has been on my mind because we're going to have the retirements at the end of the twenty twenty four season of Gary Gilmore from Coastal Carolina and Keith Gutton from Missouri State. That 
what those two coaches have done at that level of college baseball, I'm not sure you can do that anymore. Where, I mean, literally ground up. Keith Gutton's first year at what was then Southwest Missouri State was their first year in Division One. You know, Gary Gilmore got there, you know, as they were kind of on the upswing, but there was no history there at Coastal before he gets there to speak of. So those were truly total ground up builds at, at the mid-major level of college baseball or lower at the time. I mean, Coastal Carolina was a big South program for a lot of that run. So that feels like it's something that can't happen. And I just don't know. I'd love to be wrong because those are fun stories, but I just, I, I think that specific thing might be over, but, but a one-off you put a great team together. That's old and, you know, talented and they win 50 games in a conference. That's just kind of, eh, you know, and they, they just learn how to win and they get hot and, I think that can still happen, but the sustained thing, I'm less sure of. Interesting. I, I think that's an interesting point, Joe. You're right. I mean, we've seen some of these longtime guys um, retire, but pass the baton. And that's something that I, you know, I think can happen. I mean, certainly Coastal, uh, where, where, where Kevin Chenault will take over and, and you've already have all that, that winning history and infrastructure in place. Like, I think that's a program that's going to remain a major factor year after year and they're in a, in, a, in a really good league for them right now like it's it's i think it's the perfect league for them it's you know the sun belt now as, as we see is probably you know it's a top it's certainly a top five baseball conference moving forward after the dissolution of the pack um but uh you know that's going to be a multi-bid league every year and they're going to still continue to contend to, to host regionals and things of that nature um so I, you know i think wilmington is another one that comes to mind they never got to omaha and won a regional yet but like they had a lot of success under a longtime head coach mark scow and then he retired and handed the reins to his longtime lieutenant, Randy Hood. And it's like the perfect guy to kind of keep it rolling. And Southern Miss comes to mind. You know, I mean, they've done this a couple of times now with, with Corky Palmer handing off to Scott Berry. And now Coach Berry hands off to, to Christian Ostrander. And I think that's a perfect transition. You know, they're not going anywhere. Um, but but you're right. I mean, the, the lower level ones making a run, it does feel like maybe that's going to be fewer and far between. But I still believe those higher level grit factories, runes, as you put it, um, I don't think they're going anywhere. You know, I mean, I, I talked earlier this fall about Troy and how they're trying to become like this marquee destination for the, the transfer that, you know, the, the good player who wants to change the scenery and comes from Florida or Auburn or Clemson uh, or whatever, like there's going to be a lot of opportunities like that for the, for these, these good mid majors to get these, uh, these players that couldn't latch on at these power five programs, maybe that um, are talented and just need a chance to play. And, you know, those guys are, are still going to need somewhere to go and you mix in the, the other talented players, those, those programs can recruit. I, I still am pretty optimistic about the future for, for this tier of college baseball. I, you know, I mean, as we've talked about with the roster crunches, there's only so many spots, you know, on these, on these major program teams, there's more players than there are spots in the sec, ACC and, and big 12 and big 10, you know, there, there's more, there's more players to go around. And so, um, you know, right. We had a, we had a dry spell and certainly the sec has gotten better and better and better and more of a monster, but I just, I have to believe there's more than 60 programs are going to be relevant going forward. Well said. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing with college baseball is, is, you know, back when coastal, you know, built the Springs Brooks park, whatever, and they had the national championship. I think since that point, I would actually argue that a lot of mid majors around the country have kind of seen what the, you know, the, the pathway uh, of becoming a prominent team and a, and a team didn't get to Omaha. You know, Aaron brought up the Troy example. I was talking to, to, to Brent Jones, their AD, a while back, and, you know, they're putting – he was sending me pictures of their facility, and it was kind of unbelievable what, like, a program like Troy was doing to their baseball park. I mean, it's, it's nicer than a few of the SEC parks. So, yep. I think as you look across the country, you've got programs like Louisiana, like Southern Miss, like Troy – um, you know, you, you've got programs in other parts of the country that are starting to put even more money in their facilities. And in a sport like college baseball, again, I know NIL has kind of changed some things in the SEC, but for the most part, you're still talking about 11-7. When you have programs that are putting that much money in facilities, and by the way, they're also putting more money in their, their coaching salaries, getting more analytical positions and things like that, and even some of the lower mid-majors that gives you a better chance of, of reaching those kind of heights. So I actually feel like the mid-majors are in a pretty decent spot. Now, you know, if they get rid of the 25% scholarship minimum, that could change things a little, maybe a little bit. But uh, I actually feel like a lot of these programs have seen kind of the, the pathway that, that Coastal has set, and they've kind of followed it. And that doesn't mean they're going to get to Omaha and 
win a national championship, but I think they could be in the discussion and potentially be in, be in the uh, kind of the hosting mix. Yep. I will, I will say this and we'll transition to the SEC. The one thing that is about Oral Roberts, I'm going to, this is going to be really hard on some people's ears, but it just, it's a fact. Um, Oral Roberts did not have to play an SEC school on the way to Omaha. Right. And so, you know, is, is that part of it? I mean, the SEC has just been so utterly dominant in our postseason right now. But, you know, again, I, the point is Oral Roberts was really good. They were really good. They were really old. Um, and they almost did beat Florida in Omaha. So, Joe, now that I have uh, uh, done the nails on the chalkboard there, can you take us to the SEC East? Can you give us a belief from the SEC East that has changed over the last 12 months for you? Sure. The, the idea that Florida is really and truly back. I was a little bit dubious of that at this time last year, not because I necessarily had lost faith in what Florida was doing. I mean, it's a tried and true method. You just, you know, you bring in really talented players and just, you know, let them, let them do what they do. Right. That that's never going to not be a winning formula on some level, but I thought it had more to do with the fact that the SEC just gets tougher and tougher every year. And that edges out no team. I, I just don't think we're in a situation where any team can really kind of run the league the way Florida did for a decent portion of the the 2010s. And so the, the, the shortcomings, if you will, and of course we're using that term relatively, uh, the shortcomings of Florida in the 2021 and 2022 regionals losing at home or losing in regionals, there, losing two straight home regionals. Um, I think I looked at that and thought, well, this, this might just be the new normal, right? Like they can host, they can certainly be a team that could get to Omaha, but this is no longer a program that's just going to go out there and, and, and dominate and just assume to get to Omaha just because, Hey, we're really, really talented. Now they came out last year and I started to hear pretty early in the season from coaches I talked to that said, Hey, that, that might actually be the most talented team in the country. And we could maybe have that argument, you know, I don't want to, but like we could maybe have that argument, <laughs> And then 2024 looks like it could be just as just as good. And, and it kind of feels back to classic Florida, which is like they have this mix on the mound of, OK, here's an established guy for us. Here's a couple of guys we're moving from the bullpen to the rotation we feel good about. And oh, by the way, here's a couple of freshmen who are just going to blow your socks off the first time you see them. And that's that's classic Florida. And if you, if you want to pinpoint some of what wasn't happening there, it was, it was that right. The pitching was good, but not great. They kind of were rolling over a bunch of veterans that, you know, couldn't really get to that that next level. You know, so that that this feels like classic Florida that we're seeing now a year ago. I was not so sure that it would be so easy for them to just be back, if you will. Fair. Kendall Fitzy, what say you on that? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing when you look at Florida is um, things can get stale uh, at times. And I think if you look at Kevin O'Sullivan, um, you know, he he parted ways with both of his assistants that he had that he was on the national championship roster The that was, you know, several years ago. And uh, those guys are no longer around. He made those changes, not to say they did a bad job, but like he kind of felt like he needed to shake something up a little bit. And if you remember, guys, you know, they had that, that I, I say mass exodus, but they had what, like, five or six guys leave the program. And at the time, Kevin O'Sullivan's kind of like, hey, we're, we're, we're kind of getting rid of some of the guys that we feel like we need to get rid of to kind of get our program back to where it should be, both on the field and in the clubhouse. And at the time, you're thinking like, okay, that's just coach speak. Like, I mean, of course he's going to say that. But it truly has turned out to be the case. Like, if you look at last year's team, they kind of had that, that Florida moxie to them like they used to. There's a lot of swagger with that group. Uh, and it obviously seemed like a pretty tight knit group. So, you know, it's just kind of goes to show that even if, even though you dominate for years, like things can get a little stale at even a program like Florida. And uh, certainly Sully kind of figured out where he where he felt their weaknesses were. And he kind of saw some of those issues with, you know, Adam Taylor Black and some guys like that on the coaching staff. I, I just think it's unrealistic to expect any program to be in Omaha for 20 years in a row. And like – if, yeah. You know, the, 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 the success. <laughs> Don't tell LSU fans that. Yeah, right. So, the success. Blasphemer. They, yeah, Blasphemer. The success that they had the last decade is, is, is absurd. What was it? Seven? Was it seven trips to Omaha in, in, in 10 in years? In a decade. It was ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's, it's three nuts, straight right? and four straight. Come I mean, on. Come on. Come on. It's right. Uh, and, and if their dip is going to be, we're going to host a regional, but not win it. 
I'll take that dip guys. Like, you know, I mean, I guess they're back <laughs> or were they ever really down? I just think like, you know, yeah. that's, that's their baseline. If we're going to host and, and not win our regional, then like it's a pretty damn good baseline. It's just, it's just an absurd track record that they have. And, and, you know, now they're just back at the, at the, the peak again, just about. So it, it's just, uh, it's just impressive. Um, the way that program has been able to, you know, continue winning at such a high level during the entire O'Sullivan era. Well, and I would say this too. I think when you look at Florida and we all know how good of a coach that Sully is, but I think his ability to, to manage that program is pretty impressive because they're, you know, they're in the top, you know, two or three, four in recruiting rankings every single year by PBR. Um, they also do a really good job in the portal. And yet he continues to have a very, very stable program and kind of the modern era of NIL and things like that. So I, I give him a ton of credit for, for just keeping things stable uh, because it's not easy to keep that many kids and let's face it, that many egos happy. Uh, and yeah. somehow they're able to do it. I agree with everything you guys said. Like, first of all, the expectation was such a joke. You know, it's yeah. like seven Omaha's in a decade is not sustainable. We know that. But I would say, Kendall, what you said really resonates for me. Sully deserves a lot of credit here because if you want to run a program that stays at that level, you have to be ruthless. And you mentioned Craig Bell and Brad Weitzel, Kendall, the the assistants that that are no longer at, at Florida. And you said they, it's not like they did a bad job. That's exactly right. They did an awesome job. Like they were the yeah. assistants that took teams to seven out of 10 Omaha's, right? <laughs> but yeah. if you're going to stay there, you have to be ruthless as a head coach. Like you have to be able to make changes, you know, ahead, like early, not late. And same thing, like Florida was an early adopter to the transfer portal. And that probably was uncomfortable because Sully was, Florida was dominating high school recruiting. So I just, I think, um, you know, the, the coaches at this level, the, the the Sullys, the Dave Van Horns, et cetera, et cetera, you do have to have a level of ruthlessness because the game adapts to you and you do have to counterpunch. And yeah. Sully clearly has been brilliant. Well, yeah. And the other, other thing ruins about the SEC and, and, you know, this can go for the ACC and Big 12 as well, is the SEC is such a counter counterpunch league. Like somebody's always doing something, whether it's more NL money, whether it's more coaching salaries, whether it's uh, more facilities, someone is always moving and shaking. And if you're not counterpunching that, you're going to get left behind. You hear that, Joe Healy? You better start counterpunching, man. Let's go. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's like, I'm too busy training. I don't have time. That's why, to he's, got, that's why he's got that towel back there in case he sweats and needs a counterpunch. Uh, this is actually an alpaca blanket. Oh, don't even know, you know what that stuff. is. I was thinking you're posting no, up in the old bathroom or something. No, not very, not very. Now the acoustics in there aren't great. The bathroom that'd be real <laughs> echoey. That's not awesome. Yeah, uh, gentlemen, let's move on to the ACC. We'll come back to the SEC West in a, in a second. Fitzy, what what's a what's an ACC belief that has changed for you in twelve months? Uh, just that you know, Clemson is is is. Ooh, good one. <laughs> I'm on a, I guess I can't quite say elite again because they still haven't been to Omaha since 2010, but they're a much more uh, relevant national factor even quicker than we thought. Um, this time a year ago, I think I was still kind of not sure what to make of their team heading into the, the fall, uh, the spring. Um, and, you know, they were the number, what? They were top three, top four national C, right? I mean, like they were, you know, they had a great year. Um, and, just we, we all believed in Eric Backage and his coaching staff. Love that staff. We knew that they have all the resources, I think, to be the preeminent program in the ACC. The combination of resources and history and that coaching staff. Um, I think in the very short term here, they will establish themselves as the top program in the ACC. And, you know, there have been times in the past where you can make an argument that they were that. Certainly, you know, the, the first decade of, of this century, I think they had a case for that. I mean, Florida State is probably or Miami. I mean, there's you know others, others that you could put in that discussion. But um, I, I think that, you know, Clemson, they were in Omaha, you know, a couple times there. They, 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 they were in Final Fours. They were hosting regionals regularly. And they've had ups and downs. And, you know, even this past decade, like they, they hosted a few, three years in a row and didn't win a regional. Um, that's one of those things where it just it kind of feels like you're close, but now I, I just think that they're they're going to take the next step, and uh, that, that's that's I guess my takeaway was th this this happened faster than we thought. 
I guess I'll ask the question that I know is just like burning to come off of Runes' lips, which is that do you like their future better than Wake Forest? Because you you, know, you mentioned that you think they'll be the preeminent program in the ACC, and that would that would by definition mean being better than Wake Forest. Not in 2024, but 2025 and beyond. I, I do think that they have just a. You know, it's just harder to do it every year as a private school. It's just a fact. Um, and you know, I love what Wake Forest has built, and I think they're the, clearly again the team to beat in the league this year because of their pitching. But um, you know, I, I think that they can they can do pretty well through the portal as they've proven. Landing Chase Burns and the guys they brought in last year, they can they can still get guys because they have a lot to offer. Um, but you know, as far as building those cores and, and developing them the way that, that this this group that they have right now and last year, I mean, there's a special couple of groups that they've had. Um, I, I don't think you're going to do that annually the way you can at a place like Clemson, a, a powerhouse public school. Yeah, and here's the other concern I have for Wake. And, and, and again, it sounds like their NIL operation is really good. They've got a lot of momentum. Their, their cachet in college baseballs, you know, skyrocketed. But the reality is, is if you look at, you know, Wake Forest coaching staff as a whole, Bill Salento interviewed for a head coaching job last year at Penn State. Corey Mascar probably would have taken the Penn State job if not for some other circumstances. And so if you're Wake Forest and they have another great year, which we all expect, chances are pretty good Mascar is probably getting a head job somewhere or is eventually taking over at Wake. And Salento uh, is probably getting a, a, a pretty serious look for some sort of you know pretty decent head coaching job. So I guess my my concern or my question versus those two schools is, I think I feel better about Clemson's long-term ability to hire elite assistants more so than I do Wake Forest's ability to replace potentially Mascara and Bill Salento over the next two or three years. And that's kind of where I stand on that uh, with those two schools. Yeah, let's, answer your own question, Joe. That's a good question. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'm just I I think what Wake Forest is doing. I, I've kind of taken. It feels like I've kind of taken Aaron's mantle of of like the Wake Forest honk on this on this podcast. How dare you? Talk- yeah, I, he didn't pass the baton to me. I ran up behind him and stole the baton and took off running with it. <laughs> Stolen um, baton. Yeah, but I just, I think, okay, I, I hear what Kendall's saying and I don't necessarily disagree. Like that is something they're going to have to contend with. But I guess what I would say is that so much of what they're, they appear to be doing right. And none of us are in those buildings every day, but from the outside, some of the stuff they appear to be doing right. We obviously know about the pitching lab. Um, I, we have to assume they're, they're offering a pretty enticing something to uh, chase Burns would not have transferred there if he didn't think he could get better. And if they yeah. were offering him something pretty enticing, cause he could have gone almost literally Absolutely. anywhere. Right. So I just think so much of what Wake Forest is doing feels replicable with, I'm not saying anybody could do it, but if, if they're really committed to baseball and it appears they are, and let's say Tom Walter retires, right. Um, I, I, I think they're going to go out and be like, all right, well, we're going to go do what it takes to get one of the best coaches in the country in here now and to kind of continue what we're doing. Um, I could be wrong, but that's kind yeah. of the feeling I get. Like this doesn't feel to me like a bespoke thing that Wake Forest has done over these last couple of years. This feels like a change in culture and a change mm-hmm. in a feeling around a program. Well, it's really, you know, what's really interesting is I was, uh, you know, I lived in Nashville and went to probably way too many Vandy games back whenever they had gotten rolling with David Price and all those guys. And there are a lot of similarities between these two schools and two programs from that. Like if you compare weight now to Vandy back then, because Vandy was one of the schools that, you know, didn't quite have the facilities just yet um, back then. Wake actually does have those facilities, at least from a pitching level, et cetera, standpoint. But like, it, you know, it's a private school. It's an outstanding academic school. Um, they've got, you know, they got money th- flowing through there, which in Vandy's case back then, it was the, the you know, the scholarship thing, the fi- the financial aid thing. Um, and, you know, Wake has NIL. So I just think when you look at those two programs, they, they look a lot like Vandy did back then. The question I have is, you know, as you mentioned, is do they have the, the, the want to uh, and the resources to long term be what Vandy, be, you know, started back then? Yeah. And it's just, and it's just such a small school. Like the enrollment is of this university is so small. Um, I mean, can they, can they keep that NIL machine running, uh, yeah. you know, at the same level as some of these other giant schools? Um, you know, they're, they're, 
I mean, Vandy had the advantage of being the only private school in the SEC, which, you know, you're getting an elite education, frankly, a, you know, a higher ranked education than Wake Forest's. Um, uh, and you get to play in the SEC, you know, that was, you know, yeah. and, and again, like in Nashville as well, in Nashville as well, which is definitely no offense. I like Winston-Salem, but it's, <laughs> it's not Nashville. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's some different, there are some differences for sure, but like, I see what you're saying. I just think that um, I don't know. Like I, 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 you know, I think that they are certainly, as long as they keep this coaching staff together, uh, I think they're going to be very good every year for the most part. But I just think that sustaining it year after year, I just have more faith in Clemson's ability to do that, given given their tradition and their and then their whole setup. So, I mean, and look, and, and as, as someone who loves that that the era of college baseball of the the late '90s into the early 2000s, I mean, who among us doesn't want to see those you know those Clemson Whites back on the field yeah. in Omaha? You know, the, and, I mean, just a classic yeah. '90s college baseball look. So good. And, and Runes, I want to hear from you on this, but I, one more thought on this. We shouldn't overlook Virginia and North Carolina, especially Virginia with what they've done and getting back to Omaha now a couple of times in the last few years since their little dip. Um, I mean, they've been there, what, five, six times now since 09. Um, they, they've that's that's a program that has won it all. Also, the only one of these. Um, I mean, and they've gotten their facilities better and better. And they still have the same two guys on the coaching staff. O- O'Connor and McMullen have been there for 20 years, like lots of things. In fact, if you're, if you're betting on a program for the next 10 years in the ACC, who's going to be the program of the next decade? They've got a really strong case. And you know what? I, I kind of like the way North Carolina is currently trending as well. I mean, again, this is a program that we take it for granted, but they went to Omaha seven times from 2006 to, what, 2018. I mean, like, that's a pretty impressive run. And, and since then, they've still been a good team. They still hosted. Um, they've got a new pitching lab that is opening up this winter, you know, that, that could help help them a little bit on the recruiting side. And we saw this this year they brought in, I think, the best group of freshman arms in the country. And that could be a potential springboard. But obviously there's a lot that they can sell there as well, you know, with their their tradition and their university and the the prestige the, the, the cachet of that brand, all that stuff. That's another one. You know, so it's it's I think it's it's maybe just one of those deals where it's like the SEC where just you have a handful of these top programs that are just going round and round for the next decade. Maybe there isn't any program that's gonna be the, the clear best one out of this bunch. Yeah. Yep. I would say in Louisville, let's not forget Louisville. (laughs) They're probably the most consistent program in the last decade in that league, right? Yeah. I think that that's how I'd sum this up is my, my conviction level on the ACC is up like big time over the last 12 months. Just seeing what wake, like wake forest. I liked their roster this time last year. Now I like their program. I like, you know, like I'm, I'm in on all of it. Clemson, same thing. You know, Florida State would be the ultimate buy low right now. Louisville, you just know Dan McDonald's not going to stay, you know, air quotes down. Um, you know, you mentioned North Carolina and Virginia both rolling. So, you know, like Dude. last year, somebody I would say Dude. to somebody, I, I think the ACC is really good in baseball, but can they trade punches with the SEC consistently? I don't know about that. I'm start, I'm feeling way different about that now. I mean, the ACC is yeah. the number one league. Don't, don't mishear me there. But, man, the, the top of the ACC is – to your guys point like just listening to you all it, there's there's some real upward movement right now and heck i mean the fact that you had virginia tech host a regional you had notre dame get to omaha you know in the last two years right though both those things happen um you know duke has been to three supers now in the last five completed seasons and they've got Whew. new facilities on the way which are i think is kind of a game changer think, but what they've been able to do without having you know a, a acc caliber on-campus facility they're having to play in a triple a park with you know, cavernous. It just was not a great fit for them. Now you've got an investment coming over there with the infrastructure. You got to like their direction. I mean, in Miami, still Miami, you know, I mean, like they haven't really gone away. I mean, they're still, they hosted regional just last year, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's just, there's a lot of depth in this league. NC State, consistent winner every year, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just about a, a regional team and they've, you know, been to Omaha a couple of years ago. So, I mean, like, it's just BC was just in a regional, like every program in this league, except for Pitt has been to a regional in the last two years. I believe, I think that's right. Um, so there's a lot of depth here, guys. It's a really good league. Really good. Yep. Hey everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. 
Cosentix Ecucinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. Uh, Kendall, take us to the Big 12. What's something that, that a belief about the Big 12 that has changed for you over the last 12 months? Yeah, I think the – well, my dog has an opinion. Um, I think the biggest <laughs> yeah, thing for me is just – how good Kirk Sarlis is as a head coach, you know, last year, you know, TCU won what 38 games, got to the regional final against A&M. And you could easily look back at that team his first year and go, okay, he's, you know, he's got a lot of gems players. Let's see how he does in year two. But I think when you look at Kirk overall, you know, it's, he's one of those guys as a pitching coach. I felt like, you know, everybody kind of liked him. He's kind of the good cop in that program. Uh, we, we had pretty high thoughts of him as an assistant, but you know, you never know how a guy's going to make a transition to a head coach. And I think when you look at Kirk and the way he's run that program over the last year, uh, he's, he's an elite head coach. I mean, he does a terrific job running that program. When I go to their, their, their fall workouts, you know, he, he observes and his assistants are the ones out there coaching. Uh, I'm just really impressed with the job that he's done there. And in TCU, again, it looks like a team in 2024, a lot like Wake that I feel like can compete not only to, to get to Omaha, but I think this is a team that could, if some things fall their way on the mound, they could actually win a national championship. They're, they are absolutely loaded uh, lineup wise. So you're now in a situation where TCU under Kirk Sarlis has won 38 games. Uh, you know, they, they did a great job last year of winning a super regional, getting to Omaha. And now this is a team that could take this thing even a step further. So, uh, for me, it's just my my opinion of Kirk Sarlis as a potential head coach. I, I thought he'd be a, a, a good head coach. I wasn't sure a year ago if he would be an elite head coach, and I think he is. I think there's also an interesting big-picture conversation to be had here with TCU because with the shifting sands of the Big 12 where you're about to lose Texas – and mm-hmm. you, we're in a world that the four of us have talked about this before. We're in a world where Texas Tech is not operating at a level they were five, seven years ago. Yeah. There's a real opportunity for a team to kind of take it, take this league and run with it a little bit. Oklahoma State's obviously always going to be in the mix, but it's been a while since they, they've been to the big stage, right? Um, Arizona and Arizona State will have something to say when they come in, but they're probably not quite ready to be that team. Um, so TCU's got to be kind of looking around thinking, hey, if we can make hay in 2024 and really continue to build this momentum, like they could be the team the Big 12 goes through, which is that's been the case before and, and certainly could be the case again. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like in the case of Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, I kind of feel like Texas Tech is is going in reverse just a little bit. I'm not saying they're they're about to just trend downward for two years, but I think they're they've kind of gone back just a little bit from a sheer talent standpoint. In Oklahoma State, for me, like I think Josh Holiday does a good job, but I feel like this is a program that is stuck in neutral. Like I, I don't see them getting worse. I don't see them getting better over the next few years. It's interesting. Uh, Go ahead, Fitzy. Yeah, I mean, I've I've I think I've been probably more of the um, the guy who's pushed back against that that argument in recent years. I, I, you know, I, I get it. Like yeah. they, they have not been able to break through to Omaha just once under, under Josh holiday. And that's, that's a surprise because they're in a regional every year. I mean, you know, he, he's been there since 2013. They've been in a regional at every one of those seasons. Literally, um, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, they did just win the big 12, you know, uh, or maybe tied for the, the regular season championship this past year. Like it's just, just kind of one of those things where you're right. Like they have me to, to bust back through the door. It's almost like, you know, where, where Clemson was for a few years under Monty Lee, where it's like we're we're, we're winning, we're hosting, we're, we're just not breaking through. You know, um, so but that said, like 
I, I still believe in in those guys and 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 again the the facilities that they've got i mean it's one of the very 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 best ballparks in the country and they have history they have a coaching staff that's been together for a decade and one consistently every year they have not missed i mean i just think like yeah okay like they haven't they haven't been back to omaha Gosh, it's been since 2016. That is amazing. Um, but I mean, like, do I think that they're gonna to get back there in the next two years, three years? Absolutely, I do. I just, I just, I think it's 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 just kind of a law of averages thing. Like, they're just too there's too much going on for them. Like, they're gonna get back there. I, I think the new league probably helps them. You know, like kind of because I think what you're saying, Kendall, is very fair. It does feel like there's a little bit of a rut there where you just keep getting tripped up in the postseason. Um, you know, and obviously the standards in that program are very high. I think the league changing up is is beneficial to them. Let me ask you guys this question. I'll answer it first because it's not an easy question. The Big 12 has not won a national title in baseball since 2005 when Texas did it. And the team that did it is leaving. Like that feels jarring to me. We're almost 20 years without the Big 12 winning a national title in baseball. Hmm. I'm going to give us five seasons through 2028 Will the big when we wrap up the 2028 season, will the Big 12 have won a national title? And I say that out loud, knowing that the SEC has won five of the last six and probably could have won six. Right. So uh, my answer is yes. I think the Big 12, even though Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, I just have a gut feel that they will they will pull one off. Uh, Joe, what say you? Yes or no. Big 12 wins a national title in the next five years. I'm going to go no, just because I, I mean, the SEC is going to grab at least a, a couple of those, right? Um, so you're working with fewer. And I like, we talked about this before with regards to Wake Forest. Like I, you know, I think an ACC team, we just got done talking about how deep that league is right now. We'll get at least another one. So I'm going to go no. I don't feel great about it because I, I do like some of the ascendant programs here in this league, but I, I, I feel like the smart money's on no. Yeah, I was just going to say that, Joe. The really, the, like, let's be honest. The smart money is no, right? Like, it's it's getting harder to do it, and they haven't done it in whatever that number is, 16 years. So what say you, Kendall? I'm going to say no, but I, I feel like TCU is right on the cusp. Uh, TCU winning the national championship would not surprise me, but if I was betting today, I'd say no. Yeah, fits same, same, and and I think, you know, again, wouldn't surprise me if TCU or, or Texas Tech, again, that's a program that – you know, they haven't really gone away. I mean, I, I, yes, it maybe it's they haven't been in Omaha the last couple of years, but I mean, like they're still winning forty games every year. They're still, you know, they're still there. They're still they can still recruit. Like they they know what they're doing. Uh, TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State all feel like programs that are going to have runs. It's just a matter of can you get all the way to the top? Can you know? And I just think the odds are it's probably going to have to be one of those three. Um, I don't see another team in this league being very likely to win it all in the next five years, even, even with Arizona and Arizona state coming in, I know those <laughs> programs actually have won it all. Unlike the rest of these teams that we're talking about. Um, but I, I just, it doesn't feel like either one of those teams is, is likely to win it all in the next five years. I think it's more likely that the ACC, they just have more, more teams. I think are, are going to be contenders to make that kind of a run uh, than, than the big 12 does. Yeah. Interestingly, some, some fun facts about the, the big 12 with regards to national titles and things of that nature. Texas is actually the only program to win the national title under the true Big 12 banner hmm. because you have to go back to 1994 in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and that was before the Big 12 existed. They were a Big 8 program. The Big Ocho. Yeah, so there's that. And then if you take out Oklahoma, so if you go past 1994, for a team that is currently in the Big 12, to having won a national title, you have to go back to 1959 with Oklahoma State, which – honestly may have been called Oklahoma A&M at that point. I'd have to fact check that, but that's, I mean, that's been a long time ago. So it is kind of funny just how, okay, the, the two teams that have won a national title in your league since 1959 are going away. Now that's not really fair because since then they've added really good programs like, like TCU, for example. Right. So mm -hmm. they could, they could still do that, but it, it, for, for a, a conference that for a long, long time in modern college baseball history, in terms of success in basically every other metric has been right there with the SEC and the Pac-12 and all of that. And they just don't they just don't have that final thing right to get them over the finish line as a league. So great. Hey, uh, Joe, you're going to transition transition us to the SEC West. Before we do that, let's put a bow on the big Ocho. Oklahoma State 
Well, first of all, they finished second several times for the national title. I, I don't know if it's two or three or what the number is, but Oklahoma State, when I interviewed Tom Holiday earlier this fall, that was one of the research items that blew me away. They won the Big Eight 14 years in a row, like which is just like unthinkable. Like that wow. if you're the commissioner of the league, you're like can somebody do something about this? Like this yeah, is shout out to Gary I, Ward. Yeah, I think if you would if you would tell people that Oklahoma State's only won one national championship, they'd think you were crazy. Yeah, yeah, because it's a brand. It's a brand yeah. in our sport, no question. Joe, what say you about the SEC West? First of all, cleaning up something. Um, Oklahoma A and M became Oklahoma State in 1957. So Oklahoma State was Oklahoma State when they won the national title in 1959. Thank you, Joe. I didn't want to show you I'm up, all Joe, about but of course, here. that's true. Yeah, yeah that's embarrassing that you didn't know that. <laughs> so, yeah, we're all about accuracy here. So I just wanted to make sure I cleaned that up. Um, okay, the SEC West. Um, at this time last year, I did not think with the way the program had been ascendant over the previous four or five years, I did not think it was possible for Mississippi State to struggle the way they did again. I thought, you know, when when Mark Etheridge and I were previewing last season on the podcast leading up to the season, I think I probably said a dozen times, like, look, Mississippi State will be better. It's just a matter of how much better. Is it regional team better? Is it regional host better? Is it Omaha better? I just took that as a assumption. And, and for a couple of reasons. One is like, you know, for those just listening, like gestures at everything, right? The new dude. Um, the fact that they'd been to Omaha three times in four years with like three different head coaches or what, like just the, they, they just been there. And it felt like this was a new era where Mississippi state was going to be, Hey, this could be the next team. And that runs the sec, right? Because the, the, the resources are just so immense and the, the, they had started to really roll there. But then also, even if you wanted to look at it with a longer lens, I think runes and I have talked about this before that, you know, as a program, Mississippi state, historically as much success as they have had is not immune to having that stinker of a season every so often. Um, that's just kind of something like that would happen. And so I thought, okay, even if you allow for that, they really never had two in a row that, I mean, that was not going to happen. And yet they did. And spoiler alert, like a lot of stuff's going to have to go right for that to fundamentally change next year. Look, I, I, you know, I don't know if they'll they'll finish last in the division or, or whatever, but there's just this league is so good. And I don't have to tell anybody listening that this league is so good that a lot's just really going to have to change for Mississippi State in a very short period of time for them to be a team that I I feel better than just kind of a flip of the coin about being a postseason team next year. Well, what's really interesting too is I kind of feel like Ole Miss is in the same boat. Like I think if you look at both those teams on paper. Like they're probably, but they're they're probably behind Auburn. They're probably behind. They're obviously behind Arkansas, LSU. I would probably have definitely have them behind A and M. So I mean, you could have a you could have Ole Miss have yet another iffy season, then have Mississippi State have three straight iffy seasons. This coming off of historic national championships, these are two programs that you know that that, that winning a championship you know seems so fleeting. They finally both win one. And now they've both struggled since, and we'll kind of see if they can turn the tide. But, like, on paper versus some of these other teams and their competitors, it doesn't look great. That, that said, I mean, you know, I think both of them still have a lot of talent. And we, yeah. they had talent last year, and they still stunk, which is, you know, a little jarring. And injuries were part of that. I mean, certainly for, for Ole Miss, I mean, you know, you lose your, your All-America caliber ace. I mean, that's that's something that hurts a lot of teams, right? Like you're talking yeah. about taking 100, inning, 100 very good innings off the table out of your weekends. That is is probably the single most impactful thing that can happen to derail a team's season, um, and and so, you know, that said, I mean, both these teams, it, it basically just comes down to will they throw enough strikes because they both have arm strike, they both have stuff, plenty of stuff on their staffs. It's just a matter of are these guys ready to do it? You know, can in Ole Miss's case, can Grayson Sanye take that take that next step forward? Um, you know, they, they've got three good on JT Quinn is another one. Like they, these guys are very exciting talents. They have frontline stuff they gotta do it you know and, and maybe they do in which case those teams will be just fine and i think the same is true with mississippi state like mississippi state's got a lot back in their lineup they're gonna hit a lot guys i mean it's gonna be a really good offensive team again just gotta throw enough strikes and and you know some of those young arms they were counting on last year weren't ready for prime time and, and are they now um i don't think it's a it's a leap to think that they could be i mean either one of these teams i just think this this division is such 
a crapshoot. I mean, besides, I, th- I guess, the givens that LSU and Arkansas are going to be up there. Beyond that, you know, those next five teams could – I mean, I guess, Kendall, you're saying A&M maybe is in that category too. You're more familiar with them than I am. But uh, for me, like those next five teams after Arkansas and LSU could finish in any order, and I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Like, I like Alabama's team a lot. I'm very high. That team that I think has more, more established pitching that's also front line compared to those other teams were Mississippi state and Ole Miss. And so maybe I have more faith in Alabama, but you know, and then there's Auburn where it's like Joseph Gonzalez kind of an X factor. Like, how is that going to look? I mean, do they have enough? They always just seem to figure it out there, you know, at, at, at Auburn, like maybe on paper, you think they don't have as much talent as some of the other teams. And then they overachieve that has happened repeatedly. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but I, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if anything happened with Mississippi state and Ole Miss. Like I think they could host regionals or they could be really bad again. I think I will say this about Mississippi State in particular, not necessarily Ole Miss, but I do think Mississippi State. When you look at the the off season with the pitching coach change of Justin Parker from Scott Foxhall, you look at you know how much energy was kind of put into the to the whole you know Brady Montgomery to potentially Starkville sweepstakes. Uh, I do think this is a, a program that it, you know, unfortunately for Chris Lamonis, that has a ton of pressure on it right now. And I do think if you're Mississippi State, you you have got to get off to, and their schedule looks like they should. But um, this is a program that has to get off to a really good start this year because I, I do think if they get off to a little bit of a slow start in conference play, I think it's going to snowball on them. So I think they need to get off to a really hot start in conference, and they start to feel that again, and maybe they kind of ride that momentum. But I, I don't think this is a team that can start out slow and they're just going to find their stride. Like I don't think that's going to be Mississippi State this year. To your point, Kendall, I think the optics of this season for Mississippi State are really important because it's a new mm-hmm. AD. And it's interesting, like we could be looking at them making a regional and getting eliminated and still them making a change, which would be weird. How do you miss the conference tournament two years in a row and then improve to regionals and then make a change? But it's like I think that's the whole point of this league is it's just so it's code red all the time, as we always say. And, you know, I, I think for Mississippi State, I've said this, you know, Joe, you alluded to it, where, you know, this is their fourth coach since 2016. I can't think of another SEC program of this ilk that has had that many head coaches in that short period of time. And it's just a lot of discontinuity for a league where everybody is in a dead sprint perpetually. Yeah. And I know this is year six for Chris Lamonis, you know, including the pandemic, but it's just, um, I don't know. It's going to be, I, I think the bow on this, the, the summary of this is Ole Miss and Mississippi state are fascinating. Like they are so interesting in our sport um, for all of the reasons you guys have mentioned. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy how the fortunes have changed for Mississippi state as a, as a whole. I mean, they, you know, they were considered the hot program, I mean, they were packing that place. I mean, if you think back, I mean, Jake Utro was like the hottest name uh, potentially in, in coaching in terms of head coaching jobs. And now, like last year, he was a guy that really really wasn't even considered for any of those big-time jobs that opened up, whereas a year before, I mean, he probably would have been able to, to take whatever job. job he wanted. Yeah, that's right. Hey, let's let's uh, let's do the final one. Hey, that, I think that that's – I don't want to – I don't want to label someone's misfortune as um, – encouraging because it's not but I would say if you're the rest of college baseball and you look at some of these programs who basically have a blank check for resources or it feels that way and you see them struggle and it and you know it that does reassure us that it takes more than resources it takes time it takes a lot of things but let me do the west I'm gonna I'm gonna lump the west together as our final uh entree here I would say my belief my change in belief is is just utter encouragement I just had gotten really, you know, we we had California is the most populous state in the country. California is an incredible state for amateur baseball. And we've all seen California players flocking to the Big 12 and to the SEC. And, you know, Oregon State, who had had a lot of California influence, and they had kind of carried the flag for the West. Well, Nate Yeski's gone. Pat Casey's gone. You know, Mitch Canham's trying to get in his footing. You know, USC was down for so long. It felt like they were irrelevant forever. You know, Arizona State, a a program that had three coaches in 50 years, and the next thing you know, they've got three coaches in five years, right? And so I had gotten very discouraged. Fullerton went from elite to just 
you know, on their back and in a heart hot second. I just, I had, I had really lost um, optimism for the West Coast. I stand here today very encouraged. I love what I'm seeing at Arizona State. I love what the Big 12 can do for Arizona and Arizona State. I think it's a great move for them. Um, USC is going to build a new baseball stadium. If you had told me that 12 months ago, I would say, give me your keys, right? Like there's no way in heck USC is going to build a new baseball stadium where, where are they even to put it? Right. But, um, you know, Andy Stankowitz has built an incredible coaching staff there. Um, you know, UCLA is kind of like the Louisville, of the West, where it's like, you know, they're not going to stay down. It just, there's no way they're going to stay out of regionals like they were last year. So I, um, it's still a very big problem. You guys know how I feel about UC Irvine and Santa Barbara. I think those are Omaha caliber rosters. There are still California kids leaving. Like, let's let's be clear about that. You look at Texas is dominating Orange County right now in recruiting. Um, but I just I love the vibe I'm getting from some of these West Coast programs where they're just one of my concerns with the West, you guys, sorry to ramble, is I just felt like the schools were so content to just get pillaged in baseball. Like the schools were kind of like, what, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean we're slipping in baseball and, and the coaches and players are left high and dry. I, I sense real fight back in some of these programs. Like they've got a plan and they don't, they're not going to just take it lying down. Um, so anyway, I, I, I Lee, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the West right now. I, I want to, you said something interesting to me, Runes that I want to follow up on. You said, you think, the move to the Big 12 will be a very good thing for Arizona, Arizona State. And I want to pose this question because to me, it feels like the dissolution of the Pac 12 feels like a tragedy. I mean, totally. certainly in baseball, where they've won more championships than anything else, conference of champions, all that stuff, basketball. I mean, it, football, the whole, the, the whole league just makes so much sense. You know, just the symmetry of it all with the two Arizona teams, the two SoCal, the two NorCal, the, you know, the two Oregon and the two Washington, and then you got your mountain teams. But like the whole thing, it just, it feels like it's just, it, it, it works. And I hate that it's going away. But here's my question for you. Are these teams that are, that have found homes, in the Big 12 and also the Big 10. Is their outlook better because of this? Because they're not locked into maybe playing so many games against teams in, in their own region like that or whatever, for whatever reason. Or just because you're going to, to leagues that are on the up and up instead of having to fight the stagnation with the stupid Pac-12 network and everything else. Like, is, is it actually, like, should I be optimistic about those, those refugees from the Pac-12 that have landed in the Big 10 and the Big 12? Yeah, I'll make two quick points, and then I'm curious what Kendall and Joe think here. I think the Pac-12 needed this. This is going to sound really harsh. I think the whole league and the schools within needed a big wake-up call in athletics. They, I just felt like they were falling behind, falling behind, falling behind, and just it's everybody else's fault instead of doing something about it. I know that's really harsh, and I think I, I hate that the Pac-12 broke up, but I do feel like I sense urgency out here that I didn't sense before. Also, to be clear, Fitzy, I'm more optimistic for the schools going to the Big 12 than the Big 10. The Big 10 just feels like a brutal fit to me. Now, I do think those programs are better than the Big 10 baseball programs. So maybe there's an inherent advantage there that they could kind of show up and be the best teams. I, that's assumptuous on my part, but um, assumptive, I guess. But um, anyway, I, I'm more I think the Big 12 is an easier fit and I, I, I think it's going to work, but. What say you on that, Joe and Kendall? I I would argue that Arizona State and Arizona are way better off in the Big 12 than UCLA and USC are in the Big 10. I, I still think as you see more kids, and granted UCLA is still recruiting at a very high level, but I think as you see more and more kids in California go in the SEC, to me it's a lot harder. Like if you're UCLA, like to me you have something pretty cool to sell to be for, number one UCLA given your location and also your state, you're still in the PAC 12, you're on the West coast. Now you're UCLA, but you're going to Minneapolis and you're going to Ann Arbor. And like, to me, you've actually like, like a devalued kind of your value as a program. Like I, I feel like that, that leaves you with less cachet than you had before. Whereas I think if you're Arizona state and Arizona, you're now going in the league to where, you know, Houston's going to spend money on baseball. TCU's going to spend money. Oklahoma State's going to spend money. Texas Tech's going to spend money. So because of that, it makes your administrations more willing to 
put more funds into baseball and things like that because other teams in the league are doing it. Whereas in the Pac-12, there weren't a lot of teams just like making some crazy strong commitment to baseball. And so I actually – I think Arizona State and Arizona are big winners, and I think UCLA and USC are big losers because I just think that – I think that devalues their program and it devalues their worth on recruiting trail. Because if I'm – again, if I'm a local kid in California and UCLA's in the Pac-12 – I can I can see the attraction. It's a great school. It's a it's a really cool ass area. You're you're staying on the West Coast. Now you might go to UCLA, but like you're going to the freaking Big Ten. Uh, that that to, that to me is just not not as good as the, what the other two are going to have. But if the Big Ten also includes Oregon and Washington, you've got like you know a solid four teams that are all yeah. well, West coast that have, that have some history. And then you, and then you factor in, you know, the, the other good programs in the big 10 of which there are plenty. I mean, you know, certainly we've talked about um, Iowa as, as a rising program, Maryland, what they've done uh, Michigan. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of, of, of good programs in the big 10. I don't know. I mean, like uh, that's I, a tug of war Fitzy, right? Like does the, do the PAC 12 schools raise the level of play in the big 10 or the level of investment and significance for baseball in the Big Ten, or do, do they get kind of sucked into the, you know, and again, in fairness, like there's weather, and I don't know, I just get irritated with the Big Ten. We're playing eight weekends, you know, it just, so that, that but hey, that's going to be a very, how does that come together? What's the net net of that is going to be really interesting. I think, what I think too, uh, I think when you look at Arizona State and Arizona in particular, I think the ability to hit the state of Texas even harder in recruiting and potentially get into some of the Oklahoma junior colleges and things like that, I think that's really going to help them too because, you know, Arizona State and Arizona have national brands. But for the most part, they're recruiting out west, whereas now, I mean, if you're Willie Bloomquist, you can recruit the Valley, you can recruit Southern California, and oh, by the way, you now can sell to kids that, hey, we're going to be in DFW, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in Houston. Well, heck, so kind of – they can get those Florida kids now. They got to get those road trips to UCF. Yeah. Come on, baby. They, <laughs> they can get those Ohio kids. They got the Cincinnati weekend. That's a big one. And by the way, Kendall, how dare you? When I was at Arizona State, we had the cut-and-shoot consolidated school district on lockdown. Every cowboy yeah. was coming to Arizona State, if there ever was one. How dare you, program. sir? You know what, though? They need a school just so they can be the cut-and-shoot cowboys. Oh, it's so good. Joe, what say you? Get us, get us back in bounds, please. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll do my best. <laughs> no, going to me for that is a really risky proposition. <laughs> um, here's here's something interesting because I I think it's a it's a lively discussion, and I I truly don't know. You could you could convince me that USC and UCLA, UCLA in particular, uh, just because they're the the more prominent brand at this point, ten years from now feel marginalized. I would also believe you if you told me like. Actually, like UCLA just kind of kept on clicking and now they're actually they're winning the Big Ten every year and they're hosting every year and they're getting to Omaha because they're just putting up gaudy. I, I believe that, too, like that they just kind of run that league and nothing else changes. I think what's interesting, though, and, and I'm not I don't fall on either side of this because I, we, we don't know and we'd be crazy to try to, to game this out right now. But I do wonder if a world in which. The college football ecosystem is telling people the only two leagues that really matter are the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, if some of the cachet we think the West Coast programs going to the Big Ten will lose might be mitigated by the fact that they get viewed as big time. And I, I go back to a conversation I had with a coach on the West Coast, uh, like a, a mid-major coach on the West Coast, who told me, we're a better, we, we get beat out for kids in the transfer portal so this without trying to betray the confidence here, like it's a good mid-major program that competes with the Pac-12 consistently. And he's like, we're losing kids to bad Pac-12 programs just because they want to be in a power five conference. And we're a winning mid-major West Coast program that goes to regionals. And that was the Pac-12. You know what I mean? So if kids are growing up in Southern California and they watch UCLA go play in the big house, in Ann Arbor and UCLA wins a game there and UCLA football is a big deal. That might mitigate some of what we fe what we fear might be a little bit of a loss of street cred on the diamond. And again, I don't know. We'll find out, but it, it is something I've thought about. And, and I will add that I do. And I said this earlier, but I'll reiterate it. I do think that going to the, the big 10 is a block of four teams from the West 
is better than going there is, is just two isolated teams way out. Well, you know, we, we have to not just think about UCLA and USC. Oregon and Washington also like that matters. I think that really matters. I think that gives them a little bit more of a, of a solid base there as they make that transition. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the big 10 to all your points, they can, they, they call the ball here. Like they can kind of be as good as they want to be in baseball. Like I get the weather is something they can't control, but no one's going to have more money than the big 10 minus the sec. And these are world-class institutions. I mean, they can attract kids. These are every one of these schools can recruit nationally. They do it in other sports. Um, they, if they choose to get really fired up about baseball, they could do some really cool stuff in that league. Um, they will have all the resources they, they want and more. So, um, I mean, they could hire Kurt Reed as their baseball commissioner, for mm. God's sakes. Shoot for the stars, Runes. I know. I mean, in that, you talk about instant cred, like street cred. Come on. No doubt. Yes. Gentlemen, well done. This was an, uh, a fun discussion. Uh, happy holidays to you all. Wanna, uh, Kendall, what's our cur- coupon? Can you verbalize our coupon, our current coupon, please? Uh, fall 20. 20 fall 20. Annual subscription. Yep. Fall 20. Or just type in Kurt well, Reed for Big Ten yeah. Baseball Commissioner. Type R- that R- in R- there. Rooney 22 to pay uh, 220% over uh, sticker price. Yes. Uh, good luck to the carrots in the playoffs this weekend. Uh Dot, dot, Did you just dot. say good luck to yourself? Yes. Oh, you know, we, I, we need everything. If, I'm lighting candles over here. Are you kidding if me? If we're doing that, I'd like to wish uh, good luck to the 1.21 gigawatts. It's been a while since the gigawatts have been in the playoffs. Uh, okay. But we're back, baby. We're back. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're shooting we're <laughs> we're back, for our, our, fourth, uh, our fourth championship this year. So Kendall, what's your guy Marcus Peters always say? Or what's his name? Uh, we, we ain't done we, yet. We, yeah, the gigawatts. The we ain't done with, yet. I said we ain't done yet. <laughs> that's a perfect way to end good luck to the gigawatts too uh that's it everybody uh have a great week happy holidays and we'll catch you next time on the d1 baseball podcast the d1 baseball podcast is part of the sirius xm sports podcast network if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more please give a five-star rating and leave a review subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts did you hear that that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.